Welcome back to another episode of Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast. My name is Captain Ozzy of Marker 23 Guide Service. And today I chatted with Adam Hudson, the CEO of Blue Line Co. Adam started his career in the fly fishing industry out of necessity, and he grew his business based on opportunities that arose and the gaps he saw in his own fly fishing experience. I really appreciated the episode, and I hope y'all do as well. As always, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an Eye Strike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at Eye Strike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. You will also be able to find extra video content that you can't find on YouTube. If you've loved listening to the Eastern Current podcast, subscribing to our Patreon is a great way to help support the show. Well, Mr. Adam, I appreciate you taking a minute to talk to me a little bit. Before we jump into everything, if you could, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into fishing. Uh, yeah, well, I'm Adam from Blue Line Co. Uh, I'm from North Alabama, and I got into got into fishing. Just, you know, obviously a lot of people bass fish and tournament fish and stuff like that where I'm from. And uh, I got into fly fishing a couple years you know, a couple years after I started conventional fishing and just never kind of looked back, had more fun fly fishing than I did conventional fishing. So just kind of stuck with it. And what did that introduction to fly fishing look like for you? Was it a, did your dad did it or, or my, uh, my uncle. Yeah. My uncle was, uh, was a fly fisherman and he, uh, kind of got me into it. He used to fly fish for bass quite a bit. And uh, we would go up to the Smoky Mountains and, uh, you know, Tennessee. He would do a little bit of trout fishing with a fly rod and uh, kind of watched him and learned a little bit from him doing that and just thought that was really cool seeing him trout fish. Even if we weren't catching anything, I still had m- more fun fly fishing than I did gear fishing. So just kind of decided, you know, let's take – that same principle and move it back to North Alabama and bass fish, just how these guys are fly fishing. And, you know, I, I don't think it's any different than a, uh, you know, using a different kind of rod, a flipping rod versus, you know, a spin caster or a fly rod. It's all, all kind of the same stuff in my eyes. So I don't think there's anything kind of, you know, any, anything crazy or specific about fly fishing. I just think it's a different way of doing the same thing. Right. No, I totally agree. I often use, you know, when I when I get clients that might only be spin or whatever, and I ask like, why? Why would you fly fish? Why would you look at a situation and say, how can I make this more complicated? And they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're totally they're totally right. You know, we need yep. conditions to line up. We need this and that. The casting's harder. But the analogy I give is um, bow hunting. 
You know, you take yeah. a, you take a rifle hunterman, or hunterman. You take a rifle hunter, <laughs> and and it, they can kill deer. Then they kill a lot more deer than can a bow hunter. But a bow hunter, for whatever reason, is, is drawn to use an archery to, to kill that deer or turkey or, or whatever elk you're you're hunting for. That's that's the same thought process as fly fishermen. Yep. A lot of fly fish, a lot of fly fishermen are bow hunters. So that's the analogy I give. I, and that's the most rational way that that I can explain it. Because I mean, I, it, it's kind of hard to put in words why you would migrate towards a, a fly rod because it is more difficult and it is it, it, yeah. it's just different all around. But um, to take me through the progression from from the introduction and, and fishing in Tennessee to how it landed you with Blue Line Co. sitting in Salt Lake City. Sure, yeah. So we we started out, um, you know, I, I started tying my own flies more out of necessity than anything. Because just like I said, I, I you know, it wasn't very big around where we were from. And uh, so I started trying to tie my own flies to imitate bass flies or bass lures. So I would go in a, you know, a conventional tackle shop and talk to the old guys hanging out in there. My dad, it was a big bass fisherman as well, and ask them, be like, "Hey, so what? What are what are the bass eating? What are what are you? What are guys catching bass on?" And they'd say, "Well, you know, here we're using these, you know, whatever it is, a spook or a fluke or a, you know, a chatterbait, whatever." And you know, that's what they're hitting right now. Like, well, okay, how? And so a lot of my fly fishing came to, well, how do I figure out how to throw that on my fly rod? Right. And, uh, so that's mostly what I was trying to, what I was trying to figure out. So that's why I started tying flies out of necessity to, because I did, because no one sold what I was looking for that you could use on a fly rod. Um, some companies nowadays are, are starting to sell some more specific flies for bass, but even still, I don't think there's very many companies doing what we're doing where we create flies and lures that are specifically designed to catch big predatory fish, whether they're bass, big, big trout, whatever, you know, the, whatever the situation might call for, for a big predatory fish, um, you know, we're making flies for that. So, uh, that's kind of how we got going as far as making flies. We really, uh, I started working in the fly fishing industry. Um, I was working at a retail store, uh, decided that I, kind of through working in a retail store, learned a lot of questions that people had started learning a lot about the industry and how to, you know, just like a lot of people I know who are guides or whatever started out working in a shop. Um, you know, if you're interested in listening to this and you're interested in getting into the industry somehow, that's the first way to do it is go work in a shop somewhere. Um, so I started working in a shop, got, got to where, you know, I had, uh, got some experience under my belt and even still I started tying more, started fishing even more and started realizing like, man, there just is a huge hole in the market for what we do. Uh, as far as, you know, these kind of bass specific flies go. And, uh, you know, part of that from a business standpoint is pretty interesting is that I, I can't remember the people of the internet here will have to fact check me on this, but something like 90% of Americans, the closest sport fish to them is a largemouth bass. Um, I mean, and that's incredible that 90% of the U S lives within, you know, a really close distance to a largemouth bass. Um, 
So if you're wanting to talk about getting kids involved in something outdoors, getting people, you know, involved in going and doing something fun and cool that's not, you know, playing on your computer or, you know, doing, you know, something you shouldn't be doing if you're, if you're a kid, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great way to be able to get, get kids interested in doing something outdoors. And uh, so pretty cool that we can kind of help assist with that as well. And you know, I thought it was kind of wild that as a, from a business aspect, you've got the largest fishing market in this, in this country is largemouth bass, but the fly fishermen and largely the fly market aren't targeting those customers. Um, not that I'm targeting them is some, is some sort of business reason because that's just what we do and that's who I am. But, uh, I just found that pretty, pretty interesting that, you know, no one was really making the product that I needed to get out there and do what I was trying to do outside. So, uh, decided in 2015 or so is when we decided we would make the company. We kind of legitimized ourselves in 2017 and, uh, have been making blue line flies ever since. Yeah, man, that's, that's really awesome. I, I don't think I've ever really thought about, um, the bass fishing industry that way I, obviously i knew there was a ton of bass fishermen around but that 90 percent statistic i mean everybody's got a neighborhood pond right yep or, or a river yep. Golf or, a, pond or neighborhood pond or something yeah that that's really interesting so yep. and you just saw a gap and you and you took it you know out of, out yeah. of necessity and um, well and not in i mean obviously don't get me wrong i didn't take the gap for business reasons i didn't see the huge hole in the market and say well that's going to become me like i was <laughs> in the gap right like i was i was the one who was there in the gap trying to you know make this stuff work myself so that's kind of how it that's kind of how it all started for me yeah and was it a pretty long road from north alabama to salt lake city as far as growing it and and what was that leap like what was the uh what was the transition oh, yeah, I from, from tying flies for, for being in the gap to, to becoming the bridge to that gap? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it definitely was because I started out, uh, you know, I still had a day job. I was still trying to get this business up and growing and running. And uh, certainly, you know, I, a lot of my personal money was going into getting it, you know, started and um Finally, over the last two year, uh, about two years now, it's when I've been able to do it full time um, myself. So it's been, it's definitely been, uh, been a road kind of being able to start doing this full time, start being able to divert my full attention into it instead of having a full time job to help kind of support and grow this thing to actually, you know, doing this full time. Um, I moved out to Salt Lake five years ago with my wife. Um, so she and I have been uh, kind of growing things out west. Not that she works for me. She, she, uh, she's, we're kind of building our life out west. Uh, but Stephen, one of our, uh, my business partner in Blue Line, still lives in North Alabama. My folks are still from North Alabama. So I still travel back to fish and hunt and all the fun stuff uh, quite a bit every year. And, uh, so we've got Steven who's now, nowadays kind of running the Southeast and the East coast. And I kind of run the Midwest and the West coast. Nice. Right on dude. That's so that's pretty cool. You, you from, from North Alabama to Salt Lake city and expanding that way. 
when you were in North Alabama, was it primarily bass that you were targeting, or was there other species that that you were going after there? We we like targeting all sorts of stuff. I mean, we fish certainly fish for smallmouth is kind of my number one, and that's like my that's my favorite fish. That's where we kind of got our teeth cut. Where I started, you know, fly fishing and really getting into it with smallmouth. Um, so we that kind of is what blue line was initially based on um of course we do a lot of large mouth fishing as well on the lakes and ponds um i'm a pretty big carp fisherman i haven't done much of it since i moved out west i know the fishing out west is good but i just haven't done a lot of carp fishing the past few years Mm -hmm. um and uh but when i was back in the southeast i did a lot of carp uh i did a lot of gar fishing gar fish gar a ton of fun to fish for um, and when I was doing a lot of guiding for smallmouth, it's kind of funny how a gar will save your day if, you know, the smallmouth <laughs> maybe not be cooperating. Yeah. But, uh, man, there's some, those gar are fun and pe- people kind of look at you sideways when you tell them, Hey, we're about to catch this gar on a fly. They'll be like, what, why in the hell are we going to do that <laughs> until, until they hook into it and they're like, Oh dang. Okay. <laughs> right. That was fun. Um, so I've, I've had that a lot. That's been, uh, you know, that's a, that's a fun one. I'm, I used to be pretty big on fishing all the different red eye bass, all the different bass species, spotted bass, red eye bass, um, all that fun stuff back in the Southeast. I liked doing that. And, uh, just again, started making flies for those because I couldn't buy flies for those applications. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked trout fishing. Trout fishing's fun. It was always like a vacation if I got to go trout fish. So it, we didn't, you know, build a lot of our business wasn't based around trout. Because if you look at anyone's fly shop or any sort of, uh, you know, booklet of flies in the industry, you'll see pages and pages and pages of trout flies. And, you know, I, while I, I mean, certainly I like my elk hair caddis, you know, a lot. Uh, it's like, why? I don't think the world needs another elk hair caddis. Like, <laughs> yeah. How, you know, how many elk hair caddises do we really need, guys? Like, how many, how many versions of a pheasant tail nymph do we really need? Like, every company produces their own version of that, of that fly. Um, I don't think that I need, I necessarily don't need to be the one to do it for business. Now, for business reasons, we are coming out with, to say that, we are coming out with a run of our own trout flies. Um, but I don't think that, uh, I mean, I think as far as, you know, kind of how we, how we came up and how we started, started marketing blue line flies was, you know, just flies that we like using that we needed to use, but that you couldn't go purchase. Mm-hmm. That's, so. that's really awesome. A um, couple things on that. First of all, I, I want to talk about Gar for just a minute. So I spent my morning... Uh, fly fishing for carp this morning and of course we wound up with a lot of gar shots so walk me through the tactics you like when when fly fishing for gar so i only i only sell one fly for them because i've only ever I, i only need one fly for gar um so it's a nylon rope that's been and we're the only company at at least still to today that i know of who commercially sells a gar fly um, which is pretty cool. Um, and I guess it just shows you that a lot of the industry doesn't pay them attention. Um, so it's got a big foam head on it and a big nylon rope that hangs out the back. 
And so what the gar will do is it'll grab that rope and its teeth will get caught up in the rope. And in doing that, you'll essentially hook them and then fight them to the boat, un- untangle them from their, uh, untangle their teeth out of that rope and oh, stop goodness. them back. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a ton of fun. Um, I mean, as far as pound wise go, carp are probably the, about the heaviest fish that most people could, you know, generally run across. Gar are probably the longest fish that a nor- that normal, you know, m- most Americans could run across would right. probably be a gar. Um, and I just have a ton of fun finding them, catching them. It's, you know, pretty, they're, they're really, you get to watch a lot of the eats if you're throwing them on that foam head. Uh, you watch them come up to the surface and grab the flies. I just think they're about the most fun <laughs> that you can have in warm water. And then obviously once you get to fight them, I mean, you know, you're fighting a four or five foot fish and you're like, well, hell yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, that's so sick, dude. Um, we were, like I said, we were carp fishing. We were very, very unprepared um, with being carp minded for a gar. But when a four foot fish swims by the boat, you just, you don't not cast at it. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. So, um, before we get off this topic, tell me a little bit about what you like to do when fishing for carp, because carp is not something I really advertise for, but love to go do. Um, when I'm down here on the Roanoke River, there's a lake right, you know, 15 minutes from the river, and so we'll go fly fish for carp, and they tail, they jump, they pull hard, you know, they do all these great things, and but they're so underrated. And what we do is we throw almost like bonefish-esque flies for them, like sliders and stuff like that. But to, tell me a little bit about how you like to target carp. Yeah, pretty similar to what you do. A lot of the carp I've found in the southeast comparatively to some other places I know, like a lot of some guys like in the Midwest like throwing uh, flies that look like moss or some crap or you know whatever in the world little worms or something mm-hmm. our our fish in the south i feel like are a little more predatory they'll tend to eat bigger flies or like actually will kind of hunt down and eat like a crawdad versus i don't think that is common in other spots of the other country but pretty similar to what you said i'll throw a throw a small bonefish kind of style fly um try to hit them you know it really light presentation try to land it about you know, six to eight inches from their nose where they're kind of tailing, sit, you know, get them going in that same direction that they're headed and, you know, hope kind of small strips, small little bumps and hopefully hook up. Right. And I think what shocked me the most about carp was how little time they spend with the fly in their mouth. And that, that, was, oh, yeah. that was taught to me. I, I didn't know, you know, I basically come from a redfish flat and or or at least targeting primarily saltwater fish to this and um good buddy of mine was kind of educating me on what to do and what to look for and this and that and, and when i got into the scenario of it you know got into the scene it's like a slurp and spit real fast and yep. that i think that was the biggest learning curve was like as soon as you think they ate it you hit them um, yeah yeah, carp are one of the only fish that have kind of like more of what we would call a tongue. Mm-hmm. So they're a lot better at spitting out stuff from the bottom than a lot of other fish. 
Uh, I mean, if you think of, you know, because they are bottom feeders, like a bass is, you know, his face is in front of its mouth. It's going to see a little more what it's eating versus a carp. And uh, those carp get it wrong a lot. So they're really good at spitting out pebbles and junk that they end up grab sucking up in their mouth while they're trying to eat. So, uh, yeah, that's why they're, that's definitely one of the reasons they're so hard to catch. Man, that's right on. But I mean, man, is it awesome when, when you finally connect it, that's a, that again is just an underrated fish. And we have a slew of underrated fish here in North Carolina from, I've said it before, I think on this show, Black drum. I believe black drum are underrated. Sheep's head are underrated. Yeah, black, black, black drum are fun. Um, both in are underrated. But, oh, big time. And, and I, I really believe our shad fishery, both American and hickory shad here, especially on the Roanoke River, are, are underrated. On a four-weight rod, catching 100 to 200 fish, I mean, yeah, that, that's uh, that's awesome. That's a fly finger. I can't uh, remember what river I I did it on, but I've caught both. I, I caught both American and hickory shad in North Carolina, doing the shad run thing, and and it was a it was a blast. Yeah, it's a that, ton of fun. And we could probably stop what we're doing right now, and have a totally different episode on underrated <laughs> fish because there's a ton of fish out there that will readily eat a fly that are a ton of fun. And the, I mean, that's yep. just scratching the surface of that conversation. Um, For sure. But, but before we move any further, tell me a little bit about your guiding career. Um, so started out, like I said, uh, kind of fishing for some fish that not a lot of people were fishing for. Uh, when I, I've always been fly fishing. I've had quite a, quite a lot of people throughout my life ask me to teach them to fly fish and started trying to get other other buddies into it because i wanted some more people to go fly fishing with or whatever and uh started teaching people to fish um once i started working in the industry definitely saw a pretty big market for advertising you know hey let's go bass let's go bass fish on a fly rod let's go do something you know that not a lot of other people are offering uh and it's in your backyard it's not you know something that you got to travel you know halfway across the country to go do something cool that we can go to in your backyard. And I mean, I'm not saying this cause I own a business of it. I truly believe that, you know, smallmouth fishing is just as fun as any other fly fishing that you can do, whether it's, you know, whether it is trying to fight, find the biggest brown trout or whether you're trying to, you know, pick off bonefish on a flat to me, smallmouth fishing is, is truly just as fun. It's not because I, it's not because I grew up near it and just could, and it was cheap or whatever for me to do it. I truly think that it's as fun as any of the other stuff you could do. Right. And in some, in a lot of cases, I think it's more fun than what some people, than some of the trout fishing that people find fun. So, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to kind of show that off and show people that, you know, it kind of always irked me a little bit that trout, you know, trout clubs and people, you know, doing, uh, projects, for all these trout waters, but nobody was doing conservation projects on smallmouth or bass streams. Um, right. you know, trout unlimited exists. They don't care anything about bass fishing. I mean, I'm going to get crucified for saying that, but <laughs> it's not called bass unlimited. It's not called bass on the fly. Right. You know, right. it's called trout limited. They do projects for trout fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Joe, I don't think a lot of smallmouth rivers have as big of a voice of people to say, hey, man, like, don't pollute this river. Hey, we got to make sure that this we conserve this, you know, resource here, uh, where I think a lot of trout rivers have that. So that was kind of a little bit of what I wanted to do was show people, hey, this is really cool stuff. It's not, I mean, yeah, going to Montana and, fly, and trout fishing is cool, but so is this. And uh, taking people out there, getting them to hook a couple bass on a fly, showing them that, you know, a lot of what we do is streamer fishing. And uh, it's like, to me, it's the coolest mixture of dry fly fishing and streamer fishing. You talk to everyone who dry fly fishes and they do it because they can see to eat. I want to see the fish eat it. I just think that's cool. All right. Well, why don't you streamer fish for smallmouth? Because if you're casting in really clear water, we class generally, you know, we'll cast some, some bright flies and you can see them come up and eat the fly. So it's still a visual game, but you're streamer fishing yeah. and watching someone's face when they kind of put all of those things together and it, you can like, you can watch the little puzzle click in their brain and be like, Oh dang. Okay. This is what I've been missing out on. Got it. <laughs> that, um, I just awesome. thought that was a ton of fun. Yeah, that that is really cool, man. And but I think you're right, dude. I think there's a lot of underrated species that that do need advocacy. You know, what I mean, I think there's smaller populations in inside the the big wheel that keeps turning. You know, the the, the world that is fishing in in the United States that need advocacy, whether that be yeah. smallmouth or largemouth or spotted bass or black drum even you know what i mean sure you know we we definitely need need that advocacy because at the end of the day it's just as much of a shared resource as is the redfish or as is the trout you know what i mean so right right yeah i think that's that's hitting the nail on the head um there do you are you still guiding today or have you have you transitioned more into the blue line co um so when i started uh, I, I kind of guided a little bit. I never really moved my guide business out west to Utah um, just because the guiding around Salt Lake doesn't interest me. Um, but the uh, if I had a good place to do it, I, I would have moved it because I really enjoy it. Um, I like uh, – so I'm actually headed back to North Alabama to guide for about 20-something days in a row. More so of a pet project. I just, I miss doing it. I, I really like meeting people, meeting customers, meeting fans or whatever. And uh, I, so I kind of opened up a run of guiding to some, some of our fans and quite a few people took me up on it. And I was like, well, you know what, let's go book. A, you know, I get asked all the time nowadays, how do I, hey, I want to, I want to book a guide to go do what you guys do and teach me how to do what y'all are doing in some of your videos. Um, you know, who can I do that with? And there, you know, unfortunately there's just not, there's not a lot of people around to send them to. So I've got a couple of personal friends that I'd always send folks to who were uh, personal and professional friends of mine who guide. And, uh, I just decided, you know, it'd be, be fun if I maybe went back home to Alabama and booked a book to run a guiding again, because I missed it. So uh, I still, I still do guide. I'm kind of thinking nowadays I might kind of alternate because I also have a lot of people ask me to take them trout fishing as well because they want to learn to streamer fish for trout. And, uh, I kind of do the same thing that we're doing for bass. And, uh, I kind of think maybe, maybe in the coming years I might, uh, 
alternate like a month of guiding for bass, a month for trout, a month for redfish, or I, well, I'd have to have a bunch of different captain's license and whatever <laughs> for that. But anyways, I don't know. I might, might kind of, you know, change, change up what I'm doing a little bit every month and, or every year and kind of, uh, go do something new every year. Uh, kind of thinking about doing that. I don't know. I could get my captain's license. That wouldn't be too hard for me to do. So yeah. anyways, I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of see how it, how it goes. I think it'd be really fun to, to, just kind of go travel around, do some guiding. I used to run hosted trips when I was working in the industry, and that was fun. And uh, I've kind of been thinking about getting back into that again. I don't know. I, I And a lot of what we do, because I do own an, e, an e-commerce site, you know, most of our, well, almost all of our sales are not in person. They're online. Uh-huh. I miss that. I miss the personal interaction that I've had with clients from, you know, it's always, it was always a lot of fun for me when I had, I would have that guy or that kid come into the shop and be like, man, you know, I'm really, I want to learn how to do this. Like that was always the best day when I was working in a shop. Like, Hey, I'm ready. Teach me how to teach me, get me the stuff that I need to start fly fishing. I want to learn it. Okay. Awesome. Like it was always one of my favorite days. And I know people are coming to my website who are in the same position, but I don't ever get to see them or talk to them as much. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, same thing with YouTube. You know, all the videos we put out on YouTube are all, you know, you get people who are, who are fans, but you don't, it's not like a, it's not like a band who, you know, they see their audience every time they play. Like mm-hmm. every time we put a new video out, all I have to go off of are the comments or the likes or the videos and the views. And, um, I think it's a lot of fun. I want, I've kind of been searching more for that in-person touch again. Uh, for blue line. So that's kind of what hopefully in the next few years, you'll start seeing some more, more in-person stuff from us. Yeah. That's, that's really cool, dude. I, and I would love to sit down four years from now and interview again about, about how that's going, but that's awesome. I, and I'm the same way, man. I don't, I, I have to have that. Uh, I'm cool with being by myself, but at the same time, I don't think, I don't think that I could do without the, uh, you know, shaking hands with somebody brand new at the end of a boat ramp every day you yeah. know what i'm saying like I, I could see how you would end up missing that but uh um, yeah yeah i miss that a lot and just getting to talk to people in real life who are uh you know who are actually going through the like the fly fishing learning process i mean certainly i'm not it's not i mean we all have things to learn and you know i'd still try to learn something every time i go out on the water but um, you know, I've been doing this for a heck of a long time and have gotten pretty good at it and in, in at least my opinion so it's cool to go back and sit with someone who's learning it for the first time again, because that was so long ago for me that, you know, like them kind of starting to go through and understand things. It's really fun to be with them when that's happening. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I think that's, that's the beauty, uh, you know, of guiding. Um, but touching a little bit on, on traveling, you said you might travel a little bit, talking about the YouTube videos. Um, tell me a little bit, and we'll, we'll get back to that traveling and, and get back to that YouTube video, but tell me a little bit about your involvement with Wildfly Productions. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a few years back, we kind of met Scotty and started you know, uh, doing some collaborations on videos, and uh, we had some video ideas that we wanted to put out in in the world and had Scotty uh, – you know, got him as a videographer to go shoot some of our cool trips and film ideas that we had. And, uh, you know, that obviously went really well. So we just kind of uh, started, kind of continued it. 
got some bigger got some bigger films planned uh and you know some fun i had some really fun collaborations with him but um got to travel around and i that kind of showed me definitely how much i really liked doing the youtube stuff and he definitely helped me out a lot with that yeah that's right on man um I have one one production in 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 particular I want to ask you about is the one where you you jumped on a sailboat and you went and chased bonefish all around. Um, yeah, I forget the type uh, sailboat. Yeah, I was called the Sailboat Diaries. The Sailboat Diaries. Walk, yeah, walk me through that and what it was all about, and, and and tell me what it was like to actually be there. Um, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely a really cool trip being able to, you know, have a, have that long where you just kind of, the days started coming and going, you kind of quit keeping track of what day it was. And you, every, every few days looked out at your phone and make sure you don't have to leave, (laughs) uh, you know, living on the sailboat and, you know, chasing, just chasing bonefish, just what, you know, just kind of free going wherever you want to go we had our little dinghies you saw in the film the little gray uh inflatable you know boats we had to kind of get around in and every day you'd wake up on the sailboat and say all right well what do we what let's check the tides let's check where the where we think the bonefish are going to be at today okay great well that's where we're headed and you know take the take the little dinghies over there see if the bonefish are there they're not let's go somewhere else if they are great let's you know we'll wade this flat till they're not here anymore the tide changes and uh definitely definitely a really cool trip yep and what were some of the challenges that trip challenges that trip presented going on a sailboat with three people who had never sailed before (laughs) so you were the only one Um, there that knew how to sail right (laughs) yeah where did you learn Um, how to sail from um uh my dad uh likes to sail and i've kind of i just grew up around water and boats all my life so feel like it kind of came a little natural and easy to me to you know kind of put it all together but um we i'd I'd been down there to sail a few times that's kind of how i knew about the area and the spot and when we decided we wanted to you know book a bonefish trip i was like well i got a good spot we go do a cool film at and i you know it's always again just you know kind of coming back to some of these film ideas that we've had that I just, you know, Scotty really helped get some of these ideas out from, you know, just an idea in my head to out on the, you know, out on a screen. Yeah, that's that's pretty sick, man. Uh, and how many days did that? What, what was the duration of that trip? I think that uh, the travel to get to where we went was so is so difficult that I think we actually ended up booking like fourteen days. But I think in the film, we kind of portrayed it as it was like a week. Gotcha. Um, we had to have the extra time of layover on travel. Plus, a lot of what we do, you know, we'll sell sponsors and have, you know, have folks that, you know, obviously this, you know, going on these trips costs, costs us a lot of money. And so we kind of helped split costs with some other brands. And, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure we had if we were going to, you know, talk to some of our sponsors and say, Hey, we'll, we'll bring you back some good bone fishing content. We wanted to make sure that we would get the bone fishing content we were promising. It <laughs> so, sounds like a very um, important part of that deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely one thing we, we were really, we were really making sure that happened. That's, that's really cool. I personally really enjoyed the, the sailboat diaries. I, I was extremely jealous of that whole ordeal. 
Um, especially the coming back and collaborating at the end of the day. That's one of my favorite parts, you know. So take take the Roanoke River here in Weldon, North Carolina, for example. Um, there's probably five-plus guides that stay in the same hotel. We all fish from 4.30 to 8 o'clock. And, well, we drop our boats at 4.30 together. But we fish basically sun-up, sundown on the same river. And we come back, wash our boats, and we're all, you know, eating dinner on the bow of a skiff from whatever – restaurant that's still open that time of night but (laughs) anyway my favorite one of my favorite parts outside of the epic fishing that we have here is the collaboration at the end of the day like this is what we found down river they were on the bank they were in the middle they were eating this they were eating that um so i I really enjoyed that you included that part of it um because i i personally enjoy that part of it um it's a little different you know back on topsoil island when I'm the only person on the flat, you know what I mean? And it's great being yep. by yourself. I love the seclusion of it, and and I do get tired of the crowds here, but I do love the fact that we all come back at the end of the day, and it's like no holds barred. We're sharing information. We're we're collaborating. We're, we're networking. You know, call it what you want. But um, So I really enjoyed that part, really enjoyed the whole entire film as a whole. Um, but – out of all the productions you've done, whether it be with Wildfly or, or for Blue Line, do you have one that stands out that is your favorite from all the rest or, or one that is more memorable than any others? Um, Probably the that sailboat might have been – that was probably our biggest endeavor, and that that one was – that one definitely stands out. Um, our Blue Line trip that we did where we, uh, you know, kind of built a budget overland rig and out of this old Zuzu took it out fishing. Um, that one definitely stands out as one of my favorite trips we've ever done. Uh, I like off-roading and old trucks anyways. And so that new film series kind of fits right into that, uh, you know, kind of both cars and, and going kind of overlanding and off-roading to go fly fishing. Um, that was definitely one of my favorite trips that we've done. Uh, and then I've also just loved the smallmouth trips and films that we've made. Those were, those were definitely some of the best most memorable films that we made, I thought, uh, because it really showed, uh, kind of what we do and kind of, I think kind of glamorized smallmouth in a similar way that you would see a, uh, another filmmaker glamorize a trout film. And, uh, I really enjoyed those. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So as somebody who has done a fair amount of traveling to fish and, and particularly fly fishing, uh, and this is coming from somebody who is currently traveling to God. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm sitting in a hotel room right now doing this podcast. Um, what are some tips or tricks or, or hacks in the industry you have for somebody setting out to travel for the first time as far as traveling in particular to fish? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, watching some YouTube channels or videos about the area you're headed to is would be big. Um, you know, scout it and see if there's a fly shop in the area and give the fly shop a call. If, you know, you're headed out to, you know, you're sitting some in North Carolina and you're like, man, I want to go do a Western trout trip. Okay, cool. You know, go hit up, a, you know, call, call a couple fly shops in the area you're going to be headed to. Um, you know, talk to some local, local shops and see what they say. Get some reports. You know, those guys will definitely tell you where to go and what to, you know, what to do, the different air, different waters you should be fishing, time of year and conditions, reports. Um, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I look at. 
uh, one of the other things I would definitely say is talk to some guides. If you're sitting at home and you're not a guide, you don't know anyone in an area, call and book a guided trip at the area you're wanting to go. Um, you know, all the guides I've met have been really friendly and pretty much willing to help, uh, you know, share, share uh, stories or kind of get you pointed in the right direction. Of course, de- definitely don't, you know, just call them and try to expect that information for free. But, yeah. you know, they're all really good, you know, all good guys as long as you you know book a day with them and have a whole day and while you're out fishing don't stop asking them questions i mean keep picking their ear on hey why are we fishing here why are we fishing this what are we doing how why do we think that this bank is going to hold fish why do we think the fish are out here in the middle why are they on the bank you know whatever just don't don't stop asking those guys questions um you know guys will obviously if I do try to tailor the trip to who you're with and you know, there may not want to have 10,000 pieces of information bombarding every client, but some clients want that and clients who are, who are there to have fun, just have fun. Great. But other clients, if you show you're there to learn, they generally are going to be really open to that. Um, so anyways, if you're headed out to a new area, that'd be my number one thing. I know that could be cost prohibitive to some folks, but, you know, I highly recommend saving up for at least, you know, split the cost with your buddy of a guide. At minimum, get a guide for a day in the area you're going to be fishing in. And just don't stop asking them questions all day. You may get off the water and the guide might be like, man, that <laughs> that was a tiring day. But, uh, I mean, I promise that's what they're there for. It literally, in my opinion, is in their job description exactly. to do that. Exactly what I was about so, to say. Um, you know, you're, I mean, that would be like, you know, don't, don't feel bad. Like if a plumber comes to your house, you're going to ask him to fix your faucet. If you go on a guided trip, I mean, I, the, the guide probably isn't just going to go offer you all of that information, but certainly if you show that you're wanting to learn and interested in learning it they should be helpful to you. No, I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Um, as, as a full-time guide, I know I certainly don't mind it. And I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you why is because as guides, we, we've collected this information for however many however many years you spent on that body of water. Most people don't really care to hear about it, right? M- my wife is tired of hearing about my new findings. Like, you know what these fish ate today? Like, you know why those fish were like, <laughs> she's tired of hearing about it. She doesn't want to hear. Yep. You know, and the, and the podcast is a great outlet for that. But it, it's kind of nice when you get that, that client or that customer that, that angler that, that gets on the bow and he's like, hey, I really want to know. I really want to learn. And he asks a bunch of questions. And it's like a finally a time for me to spew out all of these things I've been <laughs> tracking and following. I'm like, I'm yep. so glad you yep. asked. Listen to this. You know, yep. have a seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much time you got, brother? Yeah, about so, to... <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just me because I, I am a little bit of a, a nerd about it, but. I think it's safe to assume most guides are probably the uh, most, you know, successful guides, quote unquote, are the same way. They're like, man, I'm glad you asked. Listen to this. How cool is this? You know, yep. this is yep. what these fish are doing. Um, but no, that that's right on. And that really goes into my next question. I was going to ask um, how you break down an area, but I think that was pretty close. Do you have anything to add on to like breaking down a new area? As, and I know the, your, your, 
variety is so vast that could be a pretty pretty big question. But my next question yeah. was, how do you you know go across the country and just start breaking down an area? You know, I kind of uh, I graduated with a fisheries biology degree. And my, I think just kind of, and from where I grew up, not in a very conventional, you know, fly fishery, I think my, uh, stance on a lot of, uh, you know, finding new water and that kind of stuff is, is different than most people. But I also think it's what makes me successful is that bodies of water are no different, no matter where you are, I guess you could say ocean, lake or river, but Oceans are oceans, lakes are lakes, rivers are rivers. Water flows down them the same way. Water flows through, you know, uh, the Gulf the same way. Tides are the same, you know, kind of, you know, tide charts probably produce the same kind of things over on, you know, the east coast of Florida is the west coast of Florida, things like that. So once you kind of have some of those things figured out, I, I try to see it as way more of a whole than an individual fishery. So even if you have been, even if you grew up your whole life smallmouth fishing in North Alabama, if you head over to Montana to go trout fish, it's not, it's not a totally different thing. Fish still live where fish live. They live in the same type of water. They live in the same ha- kind of habitat. They want the same kind of protection from predators. Um, you know, predatory brown trout eat in the exact same way that smallmouth do. They, you know, they're ambush predators. They like to sit in an area that doesn't have a lot of current and ambush into area, into, you know, uh, food getting passed by them in the current. And that's no different whether you're bass fishing in Alabama or you're trout fishing in Montana or you're in Patagonia. It's the same thing. Right. Um, you know, bait fish get acted upon, you know, a wounded bait fish swims the exact same way in Argentina as it does in Alaska. It just, it's the same stuff. Um, and I think once you can start seeing these fisheries as a little more of a open, you, uh, I don't know, like oh, an open system, not a closed system. Like, okay, how do you fish this one river versus, okay, what are these trout doing? Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in, in fishing this one hole. I'm interested in trying to figure out why a trout is in this hole to begin with yep. or whatever. Right. And obviously, you know, every river has, is going to have its little nuances and things like that. But at least when you head to those rivers, you're going to be pretty close to figuring it out where you're, you're kind of, your tweaking isn't as drastic as like, okay, are there fish here? Mm-hmm. Where are the fish? It's okay. What are they eating? What are they doing? Are they, are they really happy today? Are they lethargic or are they eating big stuff or small stuff? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it takes a lot of the, of the guesswork out to where you're only fine tuning what you're, what you're doing. Right. Um, obviously, uh, the only way that I will tell you that, that, that you get that information is time on the water. There's nothing. That's right. There's no other way that you can get that info. Um, there's no replacement for it. Right. So I would definitely say a couple things is don't be scared of fail. Excuse me. Don't be scared of failure. I have so many people in my, you know, in DMs ask us questions about stuff. And it's like, you can almost kind of tell they haven't, they haven't tried it yet. Um, they haven't been there yet. They're, you know, they tried once and they got really frustrated and gave up. I mean, 
that definitely happens. I mean, we've, we've gone out to shoot films that y'all never saw because the fishing was horrible or whatever. I mean, and sometimes we still put out the bad fishing, but end up finding fish later in the trip or whatever it is. Um, you know, we don't always uh, bring video cameras to every river that we've ever fished. Um, and definitely there's nothing that can kind of replace you spending the time on the waterway, trying to figure it out yourself. And, uh, I'll, I promise if you start spending more time on the water, you spend more time after different species, it's going to make you a better angler, even for trout going smallmouth fishing would make you a better trout angler. Going red fishing would make you a better trout angler too. Um, you know, just the more fish and the more proficient you can be with a, with a rod and with casting and more conditions, you'll, you'll start adding to that quiver. And I think all of a sudden one day you'll wake up and be like, dang, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. No, I, I think you're spot on the money there, but I think that if you can grasp the big picture, you know, there's facts in fishing that are just true. No matter what fisher you go into, um, few example, like fish, like structure, you know what I mean? Like yep. most fix, most fisheries that have structure that you go to, you can bet money that fish like structure. Not always yep. useful to the site fisherman, but nonetheless, that that's a to echo your point. Um, yeah, you know, find the bait, find the fish. You know, there's facts like that that that, right. that remain true, and whether you're 30 miles offshore or you're inshore or you're in a river or a lake, you know what I mean. Find the bait, yep. find the fish. What are they eating? Yep. You know, there's these principles that that are true, and once you grasp them and and add them to your toolbox. Like you said, it's just fine tuning. Like, oh, you just need to strip set, right. or you just need to trout set, or you just need to right. strip it different. You know what I mean? So, and, exactly. And I think, like I said, I think you hit the nail on the head yet again. Um, that 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 is that is extremely true when it comes down to breaking down big bodies of water or, or just bodies of water in general. It's it, it's important not to forget that fish are fish. I remember yeah. I had a I had a, just an inshore career. Um, Growing up in North Carolina, I really didn't know anything outside of the inlet. I, I just never had the access to it. Well, later on in my career, I got the chance, well, not career, but later on in life, I got the chance to go offshore. And I, I mean, it was a new world. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was. And we got out there, and the, my, I remember my first thought, the first fish we hooked up offshore, I was like, this is still just fishing. This is still yep. just tricking a predatory fish to eat a bait fish <laughs> yep. and reeling him in. Right. It's crazy to me because I was, yeah, I had gone whatever, however many years of fishing thinking this was a different world I knew nothing about. And once I got there, I was like, this is the same thing. The fish are just, <laughs> they, they just eat a little faster. You know, they're, they're, you know, right. the pelagic fish and all that. They're just moving a little faster when they eat. Um, sure. A little faster than I can, I can swim a paddle tail in. But, um, no, I, I, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and then last question on, on the traveling part, as far as, or, or the going all over the place part, do, is there anything you have on the actual traveling, like as far as the, the, the packing down, any tricks, tips on stowing rods, bringing rods, um, packing out, flying, anything like that you could give? Cause that's one thing. This is really more a personal question than a podcast question. 
because yeah, um, I, I pack everything and, and I'm, I'm, I'm apparently really bad at it because I always forget at least something. So any tricks or tips you need to send up, in particular my way <laughs> on traveling to fly fish? Man, I, it's hard. I, you know, I've been all kind of all over the place yeah, and, you know, to a bunch of different countries with fly rods. And one of the things I would say is, you know, I, I don't, I will do everything that I can to carry on my, uh, to like in my carry on to have my rods and reels. To me, that's the only thing, uh, and lines obviously with that, that's the only thing that's irreplaceable out of, out of my kit. Like if I get somewhere, I don't even care if I have to go buy a pair of waders. I don't care if I have to go buy a pair of boots or whatever. All that stuff is, is check baggage or, or if you're, you know, going full carry on, that's great too. But, um, you know, I, I never try to check my, my expensive gear and my rods and reels are like the number one thing for me that I couldn't just replace. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I, I start, I mean, obviously the more of them you go on, the more of them you'll know, but, uh, I kind of just start probably about a week ahead of time thinking like, okay, just and I will start in the day and run through the entire scenario. Okay, I'm going bone fishing. All right, I'm going to wake up. What am I? How am I? What am I going to do? All right, I'm going to need to put my rod together and I'm going to need to tie on a fly. Leaders. Oh crap. Okay. Yep. I need leaders. Great. We'll get. You know, I need to build. You know, build myself three or four leaders. Okay. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to tie on a fly. All right. Need flies. All right. And then I'm going to go fish. And then I'm going to need. If I catch a fish, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to need hemos. You know. And I just kind of run down the scenario in my head of like, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing there? How am I going to do it? And then eventually by the end of the week, I'll have a bunch of stuff packed up and hope that I'm not forgetting something that's important. Yeah, that's a good process. Probably one that I'm going to apply next time. Um, Most of my travel consists of uh, hotel to hotel or or, um, campground to campground. You know, I, I, I do a few different locations throughout my year, um, which consists of packing up and moving camp, basically. And within the first sure. four days, the first thing I found, I'm like, man, I really miss having my garage, you know, or my the place I park my boat with all of my tackle I've accumulated. Oh, yeah. Ten minutes away from the ramp. Because more, sure. than, more than once have I gotten halfway to the ramp, like, oh, crap, I'm going to need a net today. Turn and turn yep. around. Yep. Um, but with that being said, the more you do it, the, the better you get. But one thing I've learned, hotel to hotel, is bring like three coolers because that mini fridge don't hold <laughs> nothing. Yeah. But yep. every hotel That's has true. an ice maker. So yeah, you know I've, I've I'm again like I said earlier I'm, I'm sitting in a hotel I'm looking at three or four Yeti coolers or whatever whatever I, and I have no affiliation with Yeti. But uh, whatever cooler you want, but I have three Yetis in this hotel room with, yep. you know, I got leftovers, I got drinks, I've got sandwich meat, I've, <laughs> I've got cold brew coffee in the mini fridge. So um, that is one thing I learned, you know, just, just stuff like that, you know. Um, but I think yep. the more you do it, the better you get. And I don't care if we're talking about fly fishing or traveling. Um, first time I traveled to go anywhere to fish, I was very ill-prepared. Um, so... But those are really good points. If you if you start at the beginning of your day and go through every single step of your day, 
the only thing you might forget is toothpaste or something. You know what I mean? You'll have yeah. the necessities, like you said, like carry on right. your necessities. So that way you only forget yeah. things that you can go replace at the local Walmart or whatever. Yeah. And speaking of nets, I've, I think I have the world's strangest collection of nets because I've got <laughs> some of the, you know, I just from whatever I've whatever, I've got a couple of some of the nicest nets that you fly fishing branded money can buy you nets. And I've also got, I think, four or five of the cheapest nets that Walmart sells. Because <laughs> <laughs> you go on a trip and just forget it that. And I go, oh, dang it. All right, well, back to the drawing board. Go buy me another $20 net at Walmart. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I've also learned when planning a trip, figure your overhead. Obviously, that's what that's what you do. You, you want to know how much the trip's going to cost you. And then just go ahead and add 10% more, 20% more, because you're going to feel yeah. something. Uh, yep. Great example. I got here, and, and based off years past, it's, it's really, really good fishing. And um, I got here, and the fishing was a little slower than expected. And um, purists are going to not love this. But I had trips coming up, and, and I had some novice anglers and, and some kids and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I got to set up for bait. I did not bring a cast net. I did not bring a, a five-gallon bucket. I did not bring anything yeah. to keep bait alive in a hotel room. <laughs> so what did yep. I do? I went to the Walmart, or the local tackle store, rather. I got a five-gallon bucket. Um, I ended up finding a cast net by chance in the toolbox of my truck. It was a solid three-foot big, which made for a lot of <laughs> casting. But anyways, I got a bubbler. And for for that weekend that the fishing was kind of slow because of some water level stuff and, and keeper season, all this other stuff, fishing was kind of slow for a weekend. I was keeping shiners alive in a hotel room, you know, so I had to go set up for all that. But um, what occurred to me, and it happens every single time I travel, is just plan on needing to spend 10 to 20% more of your budget because something's going to happen. You're going to forget your waiters. You're going to forget this or that, or you're going to have to go set up to bait fish for a couple of days because something happened. Or, yep. um, yep. I mean, if you don't bait fish, that's fine. But you know, as a guide, I, I'm going to put a seven year old on a fish, whether it's on bait or whether it's on a stream. Right. So, so yeah. And like I said, I'm sure I'll catch crap for that. And that's totally fine. I'm willing to answer for it, but, um, just, a, just a prepare for that. Cause every single time I travel, I, I end up spending way more than I thought I would spend. So, oh Yeah. That, that I guess that's my two cents. But, that's um, a good take. I have a serious question for you if you're ready. I suppose. <laughs> what What is a red beer? <laughs> uh, it's a, a Michelada, which I guess is what a lot of people call it. I guess that's what they call it south of the border is a Michelada. Uh, but it's, uh, it's kind of a red beer. Or, uh, sorry, it's kind of a uh, Bloody Mary mix with a cerveza okay so so how, how if i were to prepare a red beer right now what would i do and what do i need well step one would be just any whatever your favorite cerveza is and then step two to make the easiest red beer on the planet would be some bloody mary mix and you um, pour it right that, into the beer yep past that everything else is just is you know the the blue line red beer is a proprietary red beer you know mix that I'm, I can't talk about on air. But the uh, 
the <laughs> other, uh, you know, the other folks, you know, that's where you start. You get Cerveza, you get a uh, Bloody Mary mix, and you start tinkering from there. And eventually you'll come up with whatever whatever concoction you like. I mean, I'm going to be honest, it don't sound appealing, you know, just from the description. Yeah. But I'm willing to if try. You don't like, if you don't like Bloody Marys, you're not going to like it. Um, if like if you don't like drinking a Bloody Mary in the morning, not only are you wrong, but you're definitely not going to like a, <laughs> you're definitely not going to like a red beer. Um, if you don't like tomato juice or whatever, if that's not your thing, you're not going to like it. Um, but if you do like those things and you like drinking in the morning, well, and then really any other time too, the the red beer is just the best is just the best thing for that. Like the best wake up. You're going to drink some beer before 8 a.m. on this float or whatever, and then you just keep drinking them all day. Like, I don't know if I want to drink, you know, 12 IPAs, but you can drink 12 red beers. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I, 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 that's, a, that's, that's a great description because um, <laughs> act folks. So, funny story the, the reason I found uh, you basically was because of the sailboat diaries. And because the sailboat diaries, my, my tournament partner, Mr. Noah Harrison, he hit me up. He's like, dude, check out these sailboat diaries. And the first thing I noticed, I'm like, the crap is he drinking? Like, that, is, that is a red, is it red beer? I was like, what is that? Yeah, that's a red beer. And we were what yep. we were doing, actually, we, we, we had like four or five rods that needed a new line on them. So one person held a spool, and one person just kept reeling. So we were kind of watching it in yep. the background at first. And, and I looked over, and I'm like, what? What? And he was like, hey, man, you should have him on the podcast and ask him what the heck that is. I'm like, that's a great idea. <laughs> so <laughs> this whole podcast is brought to you by Red Beers. I've just been trying to figure out the Red Beer recipe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely appreciate that, you know, a lot of people ask us what, how to make a Blue Line Red Beer. And my Red Beer has come from years and years of work and experience and, you know, trial and error. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into the Blue Line Red Beer. And that's proprietary information that I could not, I could never risk, like, my enemies getting a hold of how to make the proper Red Beer. Um, but I will tell you this, if you don't want to go through all the hassle of making, trying to make a Red Beer, they're the best red beer on the market. You can buy it at a lot of grocery stores or convenience stores or whatever. Um, I actually think they've gotten more popular, mo- mostly because, due to me. Um, <laughs> I think uh, Modelo makes a Modelo Chilada that you can purchase at pretty much any grocery store, gas station, whatever. Buy the original one with the red logoing on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a pretty good, it's, that's the best canned red beer that you can get. So maybe there'll be a Modelo sponsorship following this podcast. Yeah, I'm looking for that Modelo sponsorship, but I'm pretty sure Modelo started doing that because they watched our my videos and said, "You know what? We got to start. We got to start carrying more red beers." I'm sure. I think that it, I've influenced Modelo. I think it happened that way. I, I would. I would have yeah. to concur. Um, Had to be. There's no other. There's no other reason that they would put red beers all over the place now, but. <laughs> If you're if you want to try red beer and you, you you don't want to go through the whole rigmarole, go do that. And if you at least like the Modelo one, if you're like, oh, this is actually pretty good, then uh, the best thing to do there is to start start with Bloody Mary mix and cerveza and and figure it out. That's pretty great. 
It was pretty awesome. Next time I'm looking to drink before 8 a.m., I might just have to try it. There you go. Um, so real quick, tell me where we can find you. If we wanted to buy some flies or watch some really cool videos or, or just yeah. get a hold of you with any questions, how, how do we find you? Sure. So head over to bluelineflies.com is uh, where you could find all of our fun gear at, our flies. Uh, Blue Line Co. on YouTube will pull up a bunch of our videos. Uh, also, if you're around this year, go to a F3T event. Uh, we have a film in the F3T event about redfish. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're not very fun, or you know, they're not very fun to catch. But you can go watch <laughs> us try, you know, try catching Hobo Steve's first redfish on a fly rod um, in the F3T this year, which is a ton of fun. Uh, so I guess that's probably how how well, you'd run across us on the internet at. Uh, instagram with uh blue line co underscore right on right on oh, man yeah. or you can swing by my house and we'll drink some red beers <laughs> <laughs> that's great man well dude i can't thank you enough for sitting down and carving some time out of your busy schedule to just kind of ramble with me for a little bit um and i think yeah absolutely everybody- i appreciate you having me yeah man and i thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of eastern current and we'll catch you next time